You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Craig Hewitt. He has founded two successful companies, Castos and Podcast Motor, and loves sharing his ideas on how to build, grow, and run a profitable and sustainable business as the co-host of the Rogue Startups podcast. Plus, through his businesses, he likes to empower and give a voice to people who want to start and run a successful podcast by providing them with easy-to-use high-tech tools. Hi, Craig. How are you? Hey, Andre. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm really excited about having you on the show. You're doing podcasts. You're also in SaaS businesses. You have a technical background. But if you want to add more about yourself, please do it now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I, I have a technical background in that I have an engineering degree, but I'm not a developer. So in the, in the world of SaaS, I'm, uh, I'm one of those, I don't know, relatively rare non-technical founders, which has been uh, an interesting journey to, to kind of build a scalable SaaS product, but uh, have learned a lot along the way and would maybe love to share some of that with your audience today. That's great. And I'm really curious about the stories you might have. So without further ado, what is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? Yeah, the, the biggest leadership success story, uh, I think, is is running a large remote team. So between our podcast motor and our Castos business, we're 25 people, all remote, in four different continents. And... You know, and over, I mean, 12 time zones or something. And it's it's just really complicated. And so I think learning how to communicate remotely, communicate asynchronously, and not be so hectic and frantic in Slack for 12 hours every day as the, as the founder of the two companies who's kind of the glue to hold all those pieces together, the, the stress is on, on me and, and on other founders that are in this situation. And so I think finding a way to set expectations, communicate those to the team, empower and enable them to be successful, and then be able to take a step back and let them do their great work um, is, has been a big challenge. But at this point, I feel like we've over, overcome it pretty well. So I consider it a success. And what are some tips you would have for being able to manage so many people remotely, and especially when they're not in a in close time zones, like they're scattered over twelve time zones, like the differences are really big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is is being organized. Um, and I'm <laughs> I'm a, a, a terrible combination of a, of like a Type A personality. Uh, who's really obsessed about the details, but I'm really unorganized. Um, so I want everyone else to be organized <laughs> and and give me exactly what we all need. But I just inherently don't do that work uh, kind of hib- habitually. So for me, it's taken a lot of um, intentionality and forethought in really planning out what what I want to do, where I want the, the team to be able to focus and where the businesses will end up going. Um, and, and do that work ahead of communicating any of that with the team. Because what I, what I found is that when I spelled off some kind of half-baked idea or, or initiative to the team, 
they hear that from the CEO and the founder and say, oh, this is important. We have to go do this. Where if, if I haven't really thought through why I want to do that or what actually I'm trying to get out of it, then, then they hear that and say, Craig wants to do this thing. I don't really understand it, but I'm going to go do something. <laughs> and then they come back to me after they've done it. And I didn't really even want them to do it yet. And I say, yeah, if that was just an idea and this is what you're kind of bringing back is not exactly right. So, um, so I think really thinking through what you want to do and why and what success looks like. And, and at this point, we, we follow a little bit of the, like the Amazon Jeff Bezos uh, model of like writing up a brief about a topic. Um, I say we, I do, because I kind of make myself do that to say like, write out a one pager at least about this thing. And if I can't do that, then I shouldn't communicate it with the team. And if I can do that, I can deliver it to them. And then they have something more concrete to refer to and, and kind of draw, draw questions and inspiration and direction from. Yeah. And that's something really refreshing, Craig, because I had discussions with my former managers and with the teams. And always I say like the one thing if you have as a leader and one of my pet peeves is if you as a leader, you have an idea of something you want to do, flesh it out in your mind, run through some scenarios, think about it. Uh, don't just mention it because people are going to pick it up and try to do something with what you said. Mm-hmm. And then you get a result that you will not be satisfied with it because you haven't really thought about what you want exactly. And the people try to implement something that they understand that they think you might want it. And this is really common like in the software domain because some people say like, I want this feature. Uh, and the software developer says, ah, it's okay. I can make it. I think I understand what you want. And then they see it and say, this is nothing what I wanted. It doesn't work as it should. And it's something that, uh, as a leader, I find you have to take the time to really think through what you want, how you want it, to really make it as concrete as possible. And then the people that are going to do the implementation are really going to have like a clear idea. And they're going to ballpark it better for you when they when they implement it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, specifically to to software. Uh, like an iteration of that has been that really everything we do now starts with a designer um, and doesn't just go from me straight to a developer. I mean, a lot of our developers are full stack, so so they're able to do some design. But I find working with the designer is like another step in that process where I can communicate with them. They draft something up in Figma. We kind of play around with it, click through. And then once we feel like it's baked, then that that gets handed over to developers. So it's kind of one more step in that process. We're like, I write up a brief, have a call with the designer, they put it in Figma, we play around with it for a week. And then once it's good there, we we kind of solidify that and hand that to developers. And that's really helped our product process quite a bit. Yeah, and it, it always helps. I find like if you have an easy, cheap way to get the prototype going, especially like in software, and not actually coding it, just even drawing it on a piece of paper and yep. <laughs> playing around like how it should look and how it should work. It, it's, it takes it like miles ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. And w- one thing that I'm amazed is like, because you have two companies and they're running at the same time. You see like you have 24, 25 people spread in the two companies. How, how do you handle the cognitive load of working, switching hats, 
from one company to the next and keeping track of what is happening in both. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's difficult. I guess I don't I don't have a great answer or like a magic formula that I use. It's just uh, we have we have a lot of really good people that really own big chunks of of both companies. And, and I think with that, I'm able to not get involved in a lot of the day-to-day really minute details of, of what's going on in the businesses, but I'm able to talk to each of them at a pretty high level to say like, hey, we're doing this thing. How's it going? What do you need my help with? Do you kind of know where we're trying to go and have all the, the, the tools and the resources and the vision that you need? And then to, to kind of try to step back and let them run with it and be successful. And so... At this point, I I do a little bit of marketing. I do a little bit of product. I do a little bit of support, um, but I'm not the driver of any of those things. And I think that's when when you get to a scale where you're able to replace yourself in these divisions of the company, your goal then is to just make sure that the people that are really driving and responsible for those are are able to do their job and be successful. And I think that's where we are. So basically, you're now at the, uh, the at the position where you trust and delegate as much as possible. Yeah. Yep. And because everybody says like you should work on, on the business, but you should also, you shouldn't work in your business, but work more on on your business. How much time do you dedicate like working on your business compared to working in your business? I, I try to make it at least half the time. Um, and I guess when I say working on the business, that is communicating with the team and, and kind of reflecting back on that process and the, the way we communicate and, and optimizing that whole workflow. That's working on the business to me because then the next time we go through a product cycle or something like that, it's better and clearer and faster and we deliver a better result in the end. Um, and then the other half is is I do enjoy working in the business uh, some because it's you know a creative outlet. I I contribute some value in in marketing and doing things like podcasting, and and so I really enjoy that. And I don't know that I'm close to getting away from that entirely, uh, just yet. But would you want to get out of it entirely if you enjoy it? Right. Yeah. I. I yeah. If I have the choice, I want to stay doing the things I like. Yeah. That's awesome. And moving on, Craig. What is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? The biggest leadership failure. Oh, failure. Oh, I, I guess um, I, I, I guess it's kind of going back to the the biggest success we've had, and that like the challenge we've overcome is is my inherent kind of lack of organization um, and and spouting off an idea to, to somebody and them running with it and and that not really being what I wanted uh, us to do. So, so I think in the early days, in the early days was years, like years. I mean, Podcast Motor's been running for five and a half years. And so for three years of that, it was just random ideas that I would have and people would go do them. And that was really kind of destructive for the company. And I've learned now working more on product and, and with developers that, that that's just really not the way to work. So I think that for a long time, that was a pretty disruptive thing for, for our team members. And what was the turning point? I said, like, this cannot go on like this. 
Yeah, it was it was one of our developers coming to me and saying like this is just not how we work. This is not this is not okay. You can't come to me on the day we want to do a release and want to change something. Uh we have to get more more disciplined and intentional about the product process and and what you want ahead of time so that we can go build it and be successful. That's really great. And it's something it's important sometimes people that are in I don't like to use that on like lower positions, but in a way they 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 have to go to their managers and take like them themselves take the leadership position and say like this isn't working, mm-hmm. and have like a tough conversation with the leader and say like we need to do something to improve it. Yeah, yeah, and I think especially when you um, when you're able to hire senior people into some of these roles, like a senior developer, senior designer, senior project manager, they're, they're much more likely to give you that feedback than a junior person who would just keep doing the work that you're giving them and, and not uh, come back to you and give you that feedback. Yes. You, you just have to, the more senior people you can hire, the better, especially if you can build, I, I think of them more as a hive mind for the mentorship that you're building around yourself. And But the key is to actually use it and talk with them and listen to their feedback and do something with the information you're, you're getting. If not, it's going to be, it's not, it's not useful for you, for anybody involved. Yep. Agreed. And Craig, after all this working on your business, in your business, all your experience, what would be your leadership philosophy? Hmm. Um, I guess I haven't codified it down into like a phrase, but but I do think that it is to to find those senior, talented, independent and driven people who want to own a piece of the business, I mean, like a responsibility standpoint, and and just let them run with it, and empower and enable them with the the vision and the tools and the direction, and then let them do their best work. I think that we've been able to do that more and more lately, and it's been really great. I can see that people are happier, they're working better, they're working quicker, um, and, and I think it's as a result of finding those good people and and me kind of relaying that vision to them. And like a meta level and at a really specific level and then letting them kind of run with it and, and own that, that responsibility. And since you mentioned that you are able to find good people more reliably now, what changed, what are you doing now that is helping you do this? Yeah. I think something that, that uh, I, I read uh, a book called the who method. Um, it's a really great book on, okay. on higher link. Like, figuring out who you want to hire and then how to hire them. And I think figuring out who you want to hire is not always clear. Like you say, Oh, I want a developer. Well, do you really like, why do you want a developer? Like what business objective are you trying to achieve with, with bringing on a developer? And it's not always like what you think initially. And so I think really getting down to those core principles of what this person will do in the business, then informs like the job description and the hiring process and then the the metrics of success when they come on board because it, it's all consistent and, and I think if you're able to really make that clear to yourself then that whole process of writing the job description posting it interviewing 
and then defining those metrics for what success looks like for you and for that person on your team, um, it just makes all that so much easier. Yes, and it goes back to having clarity on what you want yeah. <laughs> and being intentional about what you want. It's not just saying like, oh, I think I want this and then just going with it and settling with what you're basically going to get because <laughs> you didn't define it well enough. And for and but do you find it because you're working with people like in so many places around the world? Do you find it it's easier by being remote to find good talent, or does it make it harder for for you to find good talent because or integrate does it make it harder for you to integrate them inside the team because different cultures? Yeah, so both, both do they probably. balance each other? We do yeah. they balance each other out, or so I I think they do balance themselves out. I mean, there's no doubt that, especially now with coronavirus and and the the kind of craziness that's going on in the world, um, working remotely is a huge benefit. Uh, it's a huge benefit in general that we're able to recruit and hire and support people all over the world. And so we can just get the best people for the role we need, not the best people where I live. Um, and because that can be really, really restrictive if you don't live in a big place, like if you don't live in a big city or a big metro area, to find all of these different types of people at a reasonable rate can be can be really challenging. Um, I have only ever, as an entrepreneur, I've only ever run remote businesses. So I can't really say, oh, remote is easier or harder than in person in this kind of world. Um, but I feel like, yeah, we, we have a good system for onboarding and communicating and checking in and people getting feedback and asking questions and clarifications. So yeah, I mean, I think remote is great. I definitely think it's a trend that will continue. Um, even, you know, without or after coronavirus is quote over. Um, and I think that a lot of us have figured out a, a pretty good way to operate these remote companies um, and have people feel you know at home and wanted and included and everything. And I know that in entrepreneurial circles, there's always this talk about culture building and how you shape your company culture. How does culture work like in a remote company? How do you shape it? How do you build it? Is it different than? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely different. Um, one thing that one thing that we do is we have a lot of Zoom calls. Like we have a lot of calls with video. Uh, we have a, a team call every week, and I have one-on-one -on -one calls with about half of our team uh, every week as well. And those one-on-one -on -one calls are a lot of just hanging out and talking about family and talking about personal stuff that's going on in our lives and a little bit of work, just catching up on, on things. Um, and then we, you know, especially during the, the confinement when people weren't able to leave their houses, we would have, you know, things like happy hours, uh, on oh, Zoom to, to just get nice. together as, as a, as a team. Um, we did have, and we do have remote, um, or like annual retreats that are in person. Ours was canceled this year. Unfortunately, it was going to be in Portugal uh, about three weeks ago and it was canceled, unfortunately. So we're hopeful that we can have it towards the end of the year, maybe. Um, but I think those annual retreats are a pretty common thing with remote teams. Um, 
and yeah, it's just great. You get, get together in person. We typically do it around a conference and get together for like two days before the conference. We do it before the conference so that we're fresh for the retreat and the conference is kind of an add on to that. And the, the two days are a half a day of working and a half a day of fun. So we rent like a co-working space or a conference room in the morning and talk through like a big initiative or project or feature that we're wanting to build in the afternoon, do things like, you know, tour a city or we did like a, an adventure ropes course thing uh, last year in Berlin. And um, yeah, so it's really nice to, nice to be able to work a little and, and play a little. Uh, the the main thing that I got is like you do a lot of one-on-one calls. Yeah. Uh, did you, did you start doing them from when from the beginning of the business, or is it something more recent that you're doing? Yeah, it's been a lot more recent. Um, it's been about a year, I guess. But I did it because so we started with just a weekly team call because we didn't even do that for a while. Everything was just asynchronous on Slack and. And we found that having a single call a week to line everybody up where we can talk about the thing or the things that everybody wants to get clarification on or bring up or chat through is just really helpful. And then from there, I felt like because we talked as a team, I didn't have as much connection with people directly. And and so it was nice to introduce these as, yeah, I mean, they're really informal. There's no agenda for a lot of them you know a lot of them we end up talking through work stuff but but a lot of them we don't too um and and so it's just a way a nice way to connect like that and the team is really likes them and they ask they ask to keep doing them so because i said you know we don't have to do these every week if you don't want to and people say no i think it's a great way to to kind of take a minute to unwind I'm asking because I'm really curious, especially now that yeah, you just started doing them for, for for one year. What is the impact that you're perceiving on the business of doing one-on-ones regularly with your team members? Yeah, I think a lot of it is is rapport uh, and and co- like connectedness with with me and the team members. Uh, they feel they feel that we're really in touch, and, and I do too, and that's great because. I think one of the downsides of a remote team is people can feel really disconnected uh, really quickly. You know, if there's not a way to connect with the, you know, team leadership or other people on the team, then they just think, especially with the time zones is, you know, Hey, I'm six hours time difference from the rest of the team. I only get to talk to them two hours a day. And then I'm on an Island by myself. If you don't have that way to bring people back in, which for us is a lot, you know, our one-on-one calls, then I think people feel really isolated and that's just not like, that's not how humans work. (laughs) Like we want to be connected with something. So I I think for us, that's, that's been the biggest thing. I don't know that there's a lot of direct business impact on it other than hopefully like, I think everyone's happier and that's, that's a huge impact. And happy people make for happy companies. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And profitable companies. And do you also encourage like the other people to have one-on-ones between them? Yeah, yeah this is something that we've talked about but haven't done a lot. Um, and I think that we'll start exploring this. I know that some companies do uh, these as kind of like round robin uh, or kind of random, uh, you know, 
or relatively organized one-on-ones that are that are cross-functional. So someone from marketing will chat with someone from support and someone from product will talk with someone from marketing or, or whatever. And and I really like that idea because I think that you know, even as kind of a relatively small company, there's a lot of people that don't know what the other people are doing. <laughs> and and that's a nice way to to get empathy for kind of where someone else is from a work perspective and what they're struggling with and things like that. Um, and this like cross pollination of, of ideas and perspective and, and kind of individual culture is really helpful, especially in a remote environment. Yeah. Especially in a remote environment, you have to promote more visibility and to have people know exactly what everybody does and how they do it. And uh, so they know how to collaborate themselves. If not, all the problems are going to flow to you. And then because I need to do this, I don't know to, who to address this. <laughs> who do you recommend? And you become like a bottleneck in the whole uh, yep. equation. Yep. Right, yeah, and that's the uh, that's the, the real goal is for, for me to be able to have kind of set everybody up and, and empowered, enabled them enough to go to each other to solve problems directly. Um, because I, I don't have the answers, <laughs> you know, somebody comes to me with a problem and I, I kind of wing it. And, and I think that in an ideal world and something I think we're trying to get to is that they all have all the answers somehow. Um, and, and just going and talking with each other is the way that the best solutions are, are found. And if they want to run them by me, that's great. But I think as we continue to, to grow and scale, that I don't make all those decisions. And I think that's just healthy for the company. Yeah, that's the ideal to have people collaborate and work together and come up with solutions to problems that they're struggling with and solve them. So you as a leader, you just find out, ah, we had this problem and we solved it like this and it's going fine. It's so like, great, yeah. keep yeah. on doing that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like the ideal. Um, and for aspiring leaders, Craig, what are the top three leadership tips you would have for them? Yeah, I think that enabling uh, a culture of openness and, uh, and and acceptance and kind of free-flowing communication is really important. Um, again, in a remote team, it's different. I don't know that it's harder. It's just different. Um, but but setting up ways that people can do that easily and, and consistently is super important. Um, because, Andre, like you were getting to, if you don't do that, then people will keep coming to you and these problems will continue to kind of brew and fester. And, and by that time, it's too late often. Uh, and so setting up a way for people to communicate openly and easily and, and readily on their own and with you is, is super important. Well, so that's one tip. The two and three? What uh, would two be? or three. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that's the that's the biggest one because if you think that like the people are really what make the company, then, then that like, that's the most important one. Um, the other, the other one I think is being really clear on, and this is kind of going back to like your first question is like being really clear when you communicate an initiative or an idea with your team. Um, it's, it's just super important as, as the leader for you to relay that vision not just the specific, like we want to build a thing that does this, or we want to start this marketing campaign, but like, why, why do you want to do this? What's the impact to the business? 
Um, and, and I think that's, that's really important. And the other one talking about impact of the business is, is a bit of transparency. Like we share every month, we share all of our SAS metrics with the, with the Castos team. Um, and because they all directly kind of impact them and they need to know where we are. So they need to know about revenue, they need to know about churn and ARPU and LTV and trial conversion ratio and all this kind of stuff. And they all understand that and they understand what good numbers and bad numbers are. And they understand when we're going the right direction. And when we have one of these metrics that's really sticking out that, okay, this is the thing we need to work on now. And a lot of times that's everybody, it's product, it's development, it's support, it's marketing. Everybody jumps on, on that one thing that that's the area of focus. And so I think communicating that, regularly and we do it monthly is is important and it only takes like five minutes in our you know the first month the first weekly call at the beginning of a month but but i think people just enjoy knowing how we're doing uh, and it gives them a little more ownership in, in the whole thing how are they going to know if what they're doing is okay or not if you don't give them like feedback and hard numbers yeah and being transparent and showing them like what we're doing is working. Let's do more of it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You, you cannot complain like business is not going correctly, but you don't say like what is not going correctly or you don't give them some numbers or some ideas and they cannot see, uh, they cannot make like a correlation about their actions and what they're doing on a daily basis with what is happening with, for for the business metrics. Yep. yep. You need some way. And it, it's awesome that you're doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a, a book called The Great Game of Business, Jack Stack, that that really takes this to like the extreme. Um, but I think we took a bit of the ideas from that book and implemented it in our own kind of flavor. Um, and yeah, everybody everybody's really been very receptive to it. When you say he took it like to the extreme, how extreme? What was he preaching inside the oh, book? Oh, I, I think I mean they we we really show like. Um, like I said, like SaaS metrics, like, you know, revenue and churn and things like that. He would talk about profitability and compensation and things like that. And I know there's, you know, some, some kind of open startups that, that share like what everybody's salary on the team is. And, and like, we don't do that. Um, okay. But, but really show like the top, a lot of the top line stuff. Uh, don't worry, Craig, people talk. They know, especially yeah. if they start doing more <laughs> one-on-ones. Go, everybody's going to know how much they're making. <laughs> <laughs> if you stay enough in a company you you start uh, getting yep. a feel about it yeah um and since we're talking about books what is the book that had the most profound impact on you uh, it's called traction by gino wickman uh it's really he he spouses this thing called the entrepreneur's operating system and it's really just a way to run a company and uh, that's kind of where our weekly call and our one-on-ones and, uh, and a lot of the really intentional communication and, and metrics driven, I'll say management has come from. And we're, you know, I think we're only, if I had to put us on a spectrum of how far we are to implementing the EOS, we're maybe halfway. Um, but but for, for the size of company and the type of company we are, I, th- I feel like we're at a good spot, but we're always trying to kind of inch a little further along that spectrum because I, we've seen that it's, it's done a lot of really good things for us so far, just in terms of how we work and how people are happy and things like that. 
And what is the main takeaway from, from the book that you yourself found like, oh my God, a revelation here? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the main revelation for me is the idea of this scorecard. Um, so his, his idea is you should have a scorecard that's like a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, like a, a table in a spreadsheet that has all of the metrics for the company. And it should be updated uh, you know, every week or every month. You should be able to look at it and say, green light, red light, like we're good or we're not. And, and so we've implemented this and it's great. So it takes me you mentioned like switching and looking at the two companies and all this kind of stuff and the, the mental tax. I've been able to take a lot of that off of my plate and, and off my mind by, by having this thing I can refer to. And it gives me an objective look of like, okay, we're doing good or we're not. And if not in this particular area. And is it also like automated? It's yeah. Fetches the information and it updates. Yep. Awesome. Yep. You have like a dash panel for <laughs> for mm -hmm. the business. Yep. Yep. Keeping the pulse there on. Beating strong. Okay. Right. There's no right. more of what yep. we're doing. Yep. Let's get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Craig. And if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Uh yeah. So I mean the you know our businesses are podcastmotor.com and castos.com. Um you can follow me on Twitter, although I don't tweet that much at the Craig Hewitt, and I blog at craighewitt.me. That's awesome. And I'm going to put links in the show notes to all these resources so people can find you more easily. It has been a pleasure talking with you, Craig. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Likewise. It was great. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com including links to the guest book recommendations.